0: This is an EWTN News Link. I'm Teresa Tomio of Catholic Connection. For the first time in a generation, Democrats win both houses of the Virginia legislature yesterday. Republican Tate Reeves elected Mississippi's new governor. Kentucky's incumbent pro-life governor, Republican Matt Bevin, trails Democrat Andy Bichar by a few thousand votes. The election of a new president and vice president topped the agenda at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Fall Assembly in Baltimore next week. The bishops will also vote on changes for a new edition of the program of Priestly Formation, as well as a half a dozen other items. And nine U.S. citizens, three Mormon women and six children, brutally murdered in northern Mexico. It's believed the deaths are connected to drug cartels rather than a targeted attack on the U.S.-affiliated religious community. For more news with a Catholic perspective, visit EWTNnews.com. I'm Teresa Tamio, and Call to Communion with Dr. David Anders starts now.
1: What's stopping you, 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 you from becoming a Catholic? Why can't women become priests? 1-833-288-EWTN What's stopping I don't understand why I have to earn salvation. 1-833-288-3986 What's
2: stopping you? Why do I need to confess my sins to a priest?
3: What's stopping you? You, 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 you? This is Call to Communion with Dr. David Anders
2: on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome again to the Wednesday edition of Call to Communion here on EWTN Radio. This program is just for you if you are a non-Catholic. Maybe you were a Catholic uh, as a kid and then fell away from the church for whatever reason, maybe in college, maybe after confirmation, could be anything. Or uh, maybe you've never been a Catholic, uh, but both of these folks may have questions about the Catholic faith. Why do we believe this? Why do we not believe that? Here's our phone number if you would like to get those questions answered. 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us outside of North America, please dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. Also... Uh, you can text the letters EWTN to 55000, wait for our response, and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. Of course, you can send us an email any time of the day or night, ctc at EWTN.com is our address, ctc at EWTN.com. I believe we have a, a mailbag program uh, coming up. Uh, on Friday of this week uh, which we recorded fairly recently from some emails that we've received over the past couple of weeks so uh, love to get those emails uh, we have our, our fabulous uh, team behind the glass here get ready to take your calls today Charles Beery, our producer, Ryan Penny, our phone screener, and Jeff Burson, who is on social media. So if you're watching us right now on Facebook or YouTube, you can uh, put your questions in the comments section. Jeff will pass those on to us here in the beautiful Studio One. I'm Tom Price, along with Dr. David Anders. Tom, how are you today? You know what? I'm doing great. How are you my friend? You yeah, know I'm doing all right. I'm glad to hear that. We have an email here from Wit. A uh, very very nice email. I am currently considering conversion to the Catholic faith. What can I do to strengthen my faith and what can I do to understand what Catholics believe? That's from Wit.
0: Wow, what a great yeah, question. Yeah. Great question. So, yeah. uh, strengthening your faith, very important that you have a life of prayer. That you uh, have a light, which would include study and meditation on sacred scripture. Mm -hmm. That you make a sincere effort to follow, obey the teachings of Christ, and inculcate the virtues into your life. That you maintain an attitude of openness and abandonment to the will of God, meaning that when tough times and difficulties and struggles come your way, that you attempt to see those in light of God's goodness and providence, and not simply kick against the goads, as we all want to do, and uh, at the appropriate time, and to the extent that your situation with the church allows, to live a sacramental life. Sounds like you're not all the way in the church yet, so you're not participating in some of the sacraments of the church, Uh, but, uh, but as that becomes available to you, there you go. In terms of deepening your knowledge of the Catholic faith, there are so many sources and good ways to get started. Uh, If you are exploring the possibility of becoming a Catholic, why not inquire at your local parish about RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, which is the series of classes most parishes offer for people who are inquiring about the Catholic faith and would like perhaps to enter the church. Uh, um, if If you are a reader... You can't do better than read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's kind of a big book, but if you can slog through, you know that's, that's the official word on what Catholics are supposed to hand down in mm-hmm. catechesis, in instruction in the faith. If you're not up to the whole catechism, you might try the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a much more swallowable, digestible, yeah. digestible uh-huh. kind of thing. Um, the, the audiovisual resources available to you are, are uh, manifold. I would begin with EWTN. And you can, you can scan through uh, our website and the YouTube channel and, and so many document libraries, so many good resources. Our religious catalog, EWTN Religious Catalog, has got books to keep you busy for a lifetime. Uh, But there are so many other good resources, publishers, and the like that you can explore. Um, If you really want to go into the deep end of the pool, uh, begin to read The Doctors of the Church. These saints and holy men and women that the church has identified as exemplary teachers of the Catholic faith. My personal favorite, St. Augustine of Hippo, followed by Thomas Aquinas. And read The Lives of the Saints, because these are people who not only knew the teaching of the church, but they lived it with great generosity and heroic charity.
2: Absolutely. Witt, thank you so much for your very nice email. Here's one now from Mark in Boise, Idaho. St. Peter wrote, Baptism now saves you. Christ said, Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. How should a Christian see these statements? Which is it? They both seem pretty comprehensive, yet they don't
0: reference each other. Oh, thanks. I appreciate the question. So that's why you can't take any part of sacred scripture out of context. You have to read it within the context of the whole. And the whole here is not just the whole of the Bible, but the whole of the Catholic faith and all of the revelation, whether through moral tradition or from written revelation of scripture. That's the light in which we see our faith. There are other passages of the Bible where Christ speaks about the condition of salvation being wholly ethical moral in content and he doesn't speak of the sacraments at all. So think about the last judgment passages, for example, Matthew 25, uh, Romans chapter chapter 2 or Revelation 20, where Christ says, on the last day we'll be judged according to our works. He doesn't say we'll be judged according to whether or not we receive baptism or the Eucharist, but by our works. So how do all these things fit together? Well, Christ on the cross paid the price of our redemption and one for us the gift of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. But just because Christ accomplished that on the cross doesn't mean that the, those goods are automatically applied to every single person alive on planet earth. We have to make them our own. We have to receive them. And that happens principally through faith in the sacraments and then also through our moral cooperation in the grace of God. And the uh, baptism is the sacrament of initiation. By baptism, we are born again into Christ, into his body, the church. But by the Eucharist, we are continually strengthened and deepen that communion that we have with Christ. And when we stumble and fall, we have the sacrament of penance or reconciliation to restore us, and on and on with the other sacraments. These convey to us the grace of God that then enables us to live that holy life whereby we might be saved.
2: Mark, thank you for your email. In a moment, we'll be talking with Mary in Columbus, Ohio, listening on St. Gabriel Radio. We have a line or two open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It is open, uh, it is open line. It is called a communion.
1: Here's a thought from Mother Angelica's perpetual calendar. I think one of the greatest things you could kick yourself all around heaven for if you could do that would be for not realizing he was always with you just as if no one else existed. Mother's Perpetual Calendar features an inspirational message for each day of the year. It's available from the EWTN religious catalog at EWTNRC.com That's EWTNRC.com
3: Father Benedict Rochelle I must tell you And from what I observe from very young people, all of these blasphemers, all of these mockers are in for a tough time, because the devil bites his own tail. And I find among young people a growing reverence and longing for God. I find a decline in the cynicism and skepticism around Because it had to destroy itself. No one can live on being an enemy of God. It's too crazy. It's too absurd. It's too dark. It's too bleak. God is beautiful. God is holy. Why in the world mock God? The people you know and trust are on EWTN.
2: Tonight on the grandfather of call-in radio shows here on EWTN, that would be Catholic Answers Live. Our guest host, Sherry Brownrigg, takes your calls. And she'll be discussing the diaconate with our friend Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Sounds like a great show to me. Check it out tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on EWTN Radio, the exclusive radio home for Catholic Answers Live. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Mary in Columbus, Ohio, listening on the Blowtorch St. Gabriel Radio. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Hi, Mary. Hey, Mary. Are you there, Mary? Mary in Columbus, going once, going twice. Are you there?
3: Hello. Can you hear me?
4: Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. I'm so sorry.
2: That's okay. Speak right up, please.
4: Okay. I'm I'm really sorry. I don't know what happened. I usually get good service here. Um, First, I want to say thank you for taking my call. a couple months ago about dialoguing with Mormons, and your advice went really, really well. So thank you for that.
2: Oh, good.
0: Uh, I'm afraid we're not getting much of Mary here.
2: Yeah. Mary, uh, you need to call us back if you could, please. That would be fantastic. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. We'll get her on as uh, quick as we can. 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. we also have a line open for you as well so please uh, do call us back here's an email now from David who says my wife is suffering from a medical condition recently she underwent routine lab work with a doctor visit learned that she is dangerously low in iron and red blood cells both her fra- family practitioner and her OBGYN want to perform a hysterectomy once her blood levels return to normal They want to achieve that using an abortifacient IUD for six months. Now, we are both Catholics. We are pro-life and open to life. Does it sound licit to insert this IUD and subsequent hysterectomy? If so, would we be able to engage in relations with the IUD, or would we need to practice NFP slash abstinence? And again, that's from David.
0: Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate it. So, as to the last question... The the way an IUD works is to prevent implantation of fertilized uh, embryos, and so you 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 wouldn't want to cooperate with that in any shape, form, or fashion, and um, because you're you're killing children with an IUD. So we don't want to we don't want to do anything that's gonna lead to the death of a child. Um, I would uh, uh so you know my personal position on this. What I would do given Catholic teaching on the on the dignity of human life would be to avoid marital relations if i if my wife had to have such a device implanted during the period that she had it implanted lest i risk the potential loss of human life that could result um so i would be really interested to get a second third opinion on whether this is really the best way medically to achieve the hysterectomy um I really would like to know that. And I'd like to really understand what the, what, I mean, I'm not a gynecologist, obviously, and I wouldn't even <laughs> pretend to speak to this, but what is the, what's the reason for the IUD? Well, I mean, are they thinking of this as like the most effective form of birth control between now and the time you have to have the hysterectomy? Is that the motive for the IUD? Or does it actually serve, directly serve the ends of the hysterectomy? Um, you can use a, a a medical procedure. Catholic faith allows you to use a medical procedure. Um, that has undesired and unintended consequences if the end for which you are using the procedure is morally licit. And so to perform a hysterectomy to preserve the health or life or, or, or well-being of a woman is, a, is an allowable thing to do, right? And, and in the same way, a person could take uh, uh, birth control pills that, that control ovulation not for the sake of contracepting but to serve some other medical purpose, but then you are correct. You would have to then go and adjust your life accordingly so that you're not using the occasion of this medical treatment to actually engage in what would be intentionally contraceptive intercourse. Okay.
2: All right. Very good. And thank you uh, for your call, David or your email, rather, is called to communion here on EWTN. Three lines open at the moment, and that number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 3986 Here's an email from Tom. Very interesting here. Since every logical syllogism and argument for a God has at least one unsupported assertion, and all claims for a God have been proven false by science, so why should I
0: become a Catholic? Um, yeah, so I really don't agree with the premise of the question. I really don't agree with the premise of the question. um first of all, it's not true that every syllogistic argument for the existence of God has an unsupported premise. It's not true I mean maybe an unsound argument for God's existence, but the ones I'm familiar with are, are sound. Now, the fact that a premise is contestable doesn't mean that it's disproven. It's just contestable. And, and let me give you an example. Like, so a lot of the arguments for the existence of God rest on some form of the principle of sufficient reason. Namely, that we have to be able to give a rational account of why things are the way they are. And that's a premise, Right. Right, So you have have what appears to be an effect. You reason from the effect to a cause. Why, Why is that a valid inference? Well, because the principle of sufficient reason, which undergirds all of our rational activity, says things don't happen for absolutely no reason. Now, you can always deny the premise. Nobody's stopping you you can come by and go, no, I assert that sometimes things happen for no reason whatsoever at all. Three-headed rabbits just pop into the air out of nowhere. (laughs) Not frequently, I'll grant you, but there's nothing stopping one from happening. Things could happen with absolutely no explanation just because reality is absurd. You can assert that. You have no good reason to assert (laughs) that, but you can assert it. Sure. And so you can always deny a premise of any syllogistic argument. But at what cost? At what cost? Debates about the existence of God with atheists, theists who debate the existence of God with atheists, it's not just a debate about the existence of one more item, like you've got cats and dogs and trees and rocks and flowers, and then there's God. It doesn't work that way. It's really a debate about the nature of explanation it's a deep philosophical disagreement about what counts as rationality and that goes to the second part of your question science has disproven science has done no such thing science has done no such thing because what science is science is the the quantitative study the imperiometric study of matter in motion or under conditions of change that's what science looks at No argument for the existence of God that I would cite is based on the the mere analysis of the quantitative analysis of matter. No, it's it's grounded in the first principles of matter. It's in metaphysics and it's in questions that that science never addresses, which is the question of being itself. Why is there something rather than nothing? Science begins with the assumption that there is a something and that that something can be analyzed quantitatively and empirically. But it doesn't touch the question of being itself. In all arguments for the existence of God are not grounded in scientific argument, they're grounded in metaphysical arguments about the nature of being, and it's not it's like saying science has disproven green. <laughs> you just a category mistake right i mean science doesn't address certain kinds of questions metaphysical questions being primary okay well
2: we thank you so much for that it is called a communion here on EWTN our phone number 833 288 EWTN that's 833 288 3986 very glad that we got mary back on the air from columbus she was in a bad cell area i think are you with us there mary
4: I am. Can you hear me now?
2: Yes, fantastic. Go right ahead.
4: Thanks. Uh, first, I wanted to say uh, thank you. I called a couple of months ago and asked about um, how to uh, talk and dialogue with Mormons, and I actually had a really fruitful visit with them. Um, so I really would like to thank you for the advice that you gave me previously to start off with. Um, it's really helpful. My question has to do um, with a dear friend of mine, um, she's not very religious, her family is not very religious, um, and she was actually, I found out recently, she was conceived through in vitro fertilization, um, and I want to be able to share the public belief about um, the nature of relationships. Um, and particularly in marriage with her, but I'm not entirely sure how to do that in a way that doesn't make it seem like I think she shouldn't exist.
0: Yeah. Um, I love her, and right. obviously God loves her. Right, absolutely. So. I appreciate the question. So if I were speaking to someone who was not Catholic, who was conceived through in vitro fertilization, in vitro fertilization would probably be the last thing on my list of Catholic moral precepts that I would discuss. I'm a big fan of discussing things through, uh, through principles and through the higher principles first and then working my way down to the subsidiary principles. And so I, I think you've already, you, in, in your question, you already articulate some of those higher principles about the dignity of the human person and love and rationality and, and fulfilling our potentials through the exercise of the virtues, uh, and all of this in relationship with the God who is and is our ultimate, uh, reason for being and our ultimate end and purpose in life. I, I really would, I, I really start with, uh, with first things first and in the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, God's love expressed to us and made manifest in sending his own son in the incarnation and the atoning Death of Christ on the cross, His resurrection, His foundation of the church, institution of the sacraments, and handing down His sacred traditions, so that we can be adopted into God's family, be sons and daughters of God, be reborn in Jesus, come to live new lives of grace and charity. That's really where I would start. And and then once a person is in love with God and wants to do His will they begin to find more and more areas of their life that need to be brought under the obedience to the divine will mm. and to the divine intellect. And then, you, you know, this is really a lifelong process, right? I mean, uh, you, you you learn new things about yourself and what what your aims and purposes are, and you come to integrate all those, your whole personality into your relationship with God. But I would not start with what is probably going to be the thing that's most alienating for her but i would begin with those things that are going to be more most attractive to her and speak to her most about her actual uh lived condition right now not the conditions under which she was conceived
2: well mary thank you so much for your call we're glad that you got through to us it is called a communion here on ewtn let's go to jill now jill is in uh springfield vermont listening on the ewtn app hello jill what's on your mind today
1: yes hi dr Anders. thank you so much for your scholar and uh for all the uh, good work you do there, I listen to you all the time. My question to you is this uh, How would one refer to uh, using more of a global term for God and how he operates? And I told the screener that uh, I've heard him referred to as these qualities referred to as the ecology of God or the economy of God, that kind of thing. So, how would one refer to that when explaining to others, kind of breaking in? To a conversation when most people have no idea they're not on that train at all, and I've realized that a long time ago. Yeah. What are your on
0: that? Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate the question. So the uh, most people, when you talk to them about God, have in mind um, a character in a book. They have in mind um, a kind of pictographic image of a guy with a white beard on a throne. Um, and they really don't understand God the way the Catholic faith understands God, which is the first principle, that from which all things proceed, uh, the ground uh, and origin of our being and of the intelligibility of all things. And it's a very sublime and high doctrine of God. St. Thomas Aquinas defines God as the very act of to be, subsistent being itself. And uh, when you begin to grasp this, I mean, the reality of God becomes much more manifest to you because it's easy to deny the existence of one particular item among many. Uh, uh, in particular, when that item seems to be kind of absurd, like you know, the guy with the white beard, uh, you know, floating on a throne around Jupiter or something, just seems so easily uh, debunked. Um, but to but to deny that there is a first principle that grounds the intelligibility of the world, that's a much harder thing to do, right? And, and you say, well, that really doesn't tell me much about God in his nature. And the answer to that is, you're absolutely right. You never said a truer word, right? And the Catholic Church teaches that our knowledge of God is just analogous. We don't, we don't have a direct experience of God. We know God only through his effects. And so we can reason from an effect to a cause and know that, that he is, but not of what sort he is. Now, to know that... God himself would have to tell us. And that gets into the divine economy that you mentioned, which is God's self-revelation in both nature and history, and especially in Christ and the prophets in the Catholic Church. And that economy, right, is the unfolding of God's plan over human history, culminating in the coming of Christ and his foundation of the Church. And, uh, you know, what's a way to communicate that with people? Well, the Catholic faith believes that all of history has a meaning. It has an end, has a purpose, and it becomes manifest to us in Jesus. So many of our contemporaries who deny Christ and deny the Catholic faith nevertheless think in eminently Christian terms about the meaning of history. They, they oftentimes, are, our humanist friends, have some conception of the good life grounded in equality and justice, and they see historical processes moving in that direction don't realize that that is a a Christian presupposition that they learned from the antecedent Christian culture that they seek to destroy. Jill, thank you so much for your call.
2: We appreciate that. We'll also,
0: in the next few minutes, be
2: talking with Marilyn in Cincinnati, Janet in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Lots more on this edition of Call to Communion.
0: When people think of family planning, they generally think they have to use medication like the pill or devices like the IUD. They don't. Modern fertility awareness based methods are highly effective ways to avoid pregnancy. This year, the CDC published effectiveness rates up to 98%, depending on the method. What's more, they don't have any side effects and help couples become more intimate. Want to learn more?
2: Visit naturalwomanhood.org.
1: Mother Teresa said, Let no one come to you without leaving better or happier. This is how we try to live our personal and professional lives. We're Rob and Camille DeMaio, proud sponsors of Guadalupe Radio here in San Antonio. Our team of realtors can help you through every step of buying or selling a home. For more information, call us at 210-488-1144 for real estate help in San Antonio and throughout the United States. Rob and Camille DeMaio, your real estate team. 210-488-1144.
5: This is Dale Offlist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. G.K. Chesterton says, You might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the encyclopedia, is meant for everybody and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www.chesterton.org. Thanks for joining us for the Wednesday edition
2: of Call to Communion here on EWTN. We'll get back to the phones in a moment. First, a quick text from Matthew who says, How do I cultivate mental prayer and what is it? I was never taught this as a convert.
0: Ooh, What a great question. Mental mental prayer is much less mysterious than you think it is. Uh, In a very simple way, mental prayer means nothing other than thinking about the contents of the faith and applying them to your own situation. That's about all it means, and it can also mean the, the, the inner dialogue that you have with God about that situation. Uh, and we distinguish mental prayer from vocal prayer, which is articulating prayers that have been composed by somebody else. So there, the ways to apply mental prayer to your own life are, are, are basically infinite. Some of the sort of tried and true ways of doing this would be to take a scene from the Gospels, the life of Christ, or the saints, uh, and, uh, and to mull over them just to sit there and mull over them. Some people, like I like this devotion a lot, to simply look at a crucifix and think about the sufferings of our Lord and what that means about my own life. You can also take, uh, say, a doctrinal truth of the Catholic faith and consider it and consider its implications for your life. As a married man, for example, I will sometimes simply think uh, in a quiet way about the sacrament of matrimony, which is my state of life, and the graces that come to me through that sacrament, and the obligations and duties that I incur by entering into that, and the trials and sufferings and tribulations that we all pass through, me in a married way, and maybe a priest in an uh, ordained way, uh, ultimately uh, aiming towards holiness of life. And so the, the the thing is, find that aspect of the faith. Could be a text of Scripture, could be a doctrinal truth, could be a dogma of the faith, could be an episode from the life of christ find the one that speaks to you um today this week this month this year make it a subject of 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 studied consideration and application to your own life um a privileged way of engaging in mental prayer is through the practice of lectio divina Uh, read perhaps the gospel every day and then ask yourself how can i apply this to my life and then you know make the thing into a dialogue as you're not just considering these questions in an abstract kind of way, um, but, uh, but in a prayer where you're asking God to make this mental prayer effective in your life and asking him for the graces to bring these realizations to completion in you, and uh, and and to help you live them generously.
2: There you go, Matthew. Thank you so much for your text. We do appreciate it. Call to Communion here on EWTN. Let's go to uh, Angie now in Moore, South uh, South Carolina. She ca- actually called either yesterday or the day before. Uh, we just ran out of showtime, so couldn't get her on. Glad that she called back. Angie, what's on your mind today?
4: Hi. Um, uh, my family teaches a religious ed um, class, and one of our... Um, subjects was on the rosary, and we passed out rosaries, and the next week, a mom came back with the rosary that we passed out and said she couldn't accept it because it was a Masonic rosary, and so um, after that, I, I did a, a, some research, and there are some resources online, but I wanted to see what your thoughts were.
0: Yeah, thanks. So, the the claim here is that uh, the rosary, as it has developed over the centuries, was was. Uh, uh deliberately shaped in a, it by by evil and masonic illuminati elements to create aspects of it that are contrary to catholic faith i think that is the biggest bunch of hooey i have ever heard in my entire life Ooh. i hooey. think it is a big pile of hooey, hooey. Right? Look out. um and I, I would not give i would not give any consideration to that kind of thing. it's conspiracy theories basically grounded in uh very speculative, deeply ideological view of the Catholic faith that is just not the mind of the Church whatsoever at all, all right? So you've got a canonized saint uh, and uh, a pope who is instrumental in shaping the Rosary as we celebrate it today. That would be John Paul II, who mm-hmm. wrote many encyclicals on the question. Uh, I mean, he, he has the right to do that. <laughs> He's sure. the pope, right? You know yeah, I mean, the pope, yeah. the pope is canonized saint of the Church. And and you know, sits in the chair of Saint Peter. If he says, "I want you guys to pray luminous mysteries," and and then I consider the actual form and content of the thing. I mean, the rosary is nothing other than uh, Catholic prayers uh, to God the Father, to God the Son, and through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so that we might come to holiness by meditations upon the life of Christ. Now, I don't care what shape your beads make. I really don't care. That's it. None of the content of the rosary is anything other than tried and true Catholic orthodoxy through and through. Yep.
2: Okay. So don't worry about it, Angie. There you go. Thank you so much for your call. Glad that you were able to get back in today. Uh, very busy phones here on EWTN's Call to Communion. Let's go to Janet now in Westchester, Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM 130. Janet, what's on your mind today?
4: Hi, Dr. Andrews. Um, I know you get this question a lot, but I haven't heard the answer, so I'm asking it again. Um, But I'm in a Bible study, and we were talking about suffering, and we then went back to when the Israelites in the Old Testament were traveling, and they were going through different areas, and God said to wipe out a nation. And that really troubled one of the women, and didn't really know how to answer her on a deeper level, I mean, I've heard it said that in the Old Testament we were infants and we didn't know any better and we kind of needed to be disciplined. And then, and then and it was a time of learning and instructing and growing and maturing in our faith. And in the New Testament, um, Jesus shows us the merciful side and all that. But um, I know that's not an answer that would really settle her heart of how she's very compassionate to why are these people just being wiped out.
0: Okay, thanks. I appreciate the question. If I might, I would like to challenge the characterization that the Old Testament God is vindictive and the God of the New Testament is sheer mercy. And I'd like to challenge it not simply by pointing to Old Testament examples of mercy, but to New Testament examples of judgment. And I can't think of any that is clearer than our Lord's words to Chorazin and Bethsaida when he says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, if the miracles performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. It'll be worse for you on the day of judgment. So Jesus doesn't pull any punches whatsoever at all when it comes to judgment. Not not any. Not any. I mean, he's tough. He's a tough guy. Uh, I mean, we all know the story of beating up the money changers. <laughs> and, and, in fact, even Christ's mode of teaching definitely shows favoritism. He says to the apostles to you the mysteries of the kingdom have been revealed but to those outside i speak in parables so they won't understand christ is tough he's hard to get your head wrapped around and so this idea that there are these two radically different testaments it's not the catholic faith there's one god one lord jesus christ and there's one story of salvation with perfect continuity now so why why the uh why these passages of the old testament and these uh, and these calls to to Uh, total war, basically, against the Canaanites. Well, a couple reasons. First of all, the Canaanites were objectively evil. They were bad. They were very bad. And they engaged in horrific forms of idolatry and human sacrifice and immorality. And God absolutely did not want uh, the people of God, the Israelites, to commingle with that civilization, because he knew that the results in their own moral life would be disastrous, as it was, as it turned out to have been. Secondly, the the Old Testament is a story. It is a story. And as a story, the New Testament views it as an allegory for the spiritual life, meaning that its significance is not to be found principally in the report of historical events, Though those are the sort of the ground for the intelligibility of the allegory, they don't stay located in history as some sort of curiosity, but they get translated into a spiritual mode of interpretation that becomes immediately applicable to our own life. Saint. Paul says in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven that these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. And the New Testament way of reading the Old Testament is to see these sort of tribal and geopolitical conflicts as pictures of the spiritual life and our combat with, with sin and vice and the demonic spirits. St. Uh, Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms, and Christ Himself refuses to engage at the level of the tribal, ethnic conflict and geopolitical conflict. He, when challenged by Pilate, he says, "My kingdom is not of this world." Right. And so um, it uh, it is questionable. I mean, it is an open question. It's one that Catholic theologians debate: the extent to which these reported events are in fact historical. Mm. and how much they may actually reflect an ideological uh, overlay that the post-exilic Jewish community in Babylon used to understand their own historical experience, which would strengthen the case, if you took that point of view, would strengthen the case that these texts and their significance for Christian life is primarily allegory, not to give us advice on how to handle uh, you know, ethnic and religious conflict in, in history, right? But to but pointing ultimately towards the conflict in our own hearts with the forces of evil, basically. So, um, that's my answer. Okay. And, Janet, we thank you so
2: much for your call. It is called a communion here on EWTN. Imagine that you're traveling somewhere, um, you know, for business or for pleasure. You're out with your family somewhere. You stop in at a Catholic church that you've never walked into, you you go in the entrance area and there you see some EWTN program guides or some radio bookmarks or some uh you know some printed material from EWTN how in the world did that get there we don't have employees all over the world but we do have and we're very blessed to have EWTN Media Missionaries. These wonderful people prayerfully take EWTN to their parishes, parishes in their communities, uh, through the print and electronic media that we provide. So, if you would like to become an EWTN missionary, here's what you do: visit EWTN Missionaries dot com today ewtn missionaries dot com join us in sharing the eternal Word with the world. back to the phones now here on ewtn's call to communion, Maryland listening in one of my favorite cities, Cincinnati, Ohio, on Sacred Heart radio, a first time caller. hey, Marilyn, what's on your mind today?
4: Um, well, I have a question. can you hear
2: me? Sure, can go right ahead oh, okay
4: um, my husband was baptized Catholic but due to family situation, uh, dysfunctional, that he was never educated in any, in, the, in any faith. And for the last three months, he's been coming to church with me. Uh-huh. So I wanted to know, is there any kind of resource that I can give him that maybe A, helps explain the math to him, or B, that would kind of lead him towards maybe in the fall of next year going into RCIA?
0: Yeah, there are several resources. Um, so, uh and a number of them at the EW10 Religious Catalog. Um, Edward Sri, the scholar Edward Sri, has a nice little book called A Biblical Walk Through the Mass, which many people have found to be helpful. It's a kind of a foray into understanding what's actually going on around them. Um, uh, Matthew Kelly is a Catholic writer, who writes uh, very, very, very introductory books, and to, they're almost they're almost in the form of self-help books, very thin on doctrinal content and very long on trying to encourage people with very little exposure to the church to you know to give Catholicism a fair shake. Basically, those are two uh, you know 101 type uh, entrances into into the Catholic faith. But I'll also encourage you to explore the EWTN Religious Catalog and you might find something that, that you know your husband better than we do that you think would really speak to him. And I would
2: recommend that myself. Uh, the address, EWTNRC.com EWTNRC.com Lots of great resources for you there. Thank you for your call, Marilyn. Here is Julie now in Bristol, Connecticut listening on Facebook, a first-time caller. Hey, Julie, what's on your mind today?
4: Hi, Um Dr. Anders, I've often heard you talk about uh, non-Catholics following their conscience when discerning whether or not to join the Catholic faith. Um, And I have recently run into some Catholics that are using their conscience as a valid argument as to why they're not uh, following a couple of, of the, I mean, some big doctrines of the Catholic Church. And I don't know how to respond to them.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate the question. So I think there's a good analogy here to the Jehovah's Witnesses' uh, refusal to receive blood transfusions as a matter of conscience. If a member of the Jehovah's Witness religion is in a very dangerous accident and has heavy blood loss, and the only way to save his life is to give him a blood transfusion, and he shows up at the hospital and the doctor says, I want to give you a blood transfusion, and he says, my conscience won't allow it. The doctor says okay but it's on your head right and so uh, he he does right in the sense that he really does have a moral conviction that he holds sincerely here mm-hmm. but he holds it wrongly and it will in fact kill him yeah it will in fact kill him and and we are not saved because we hold the right opinions we're not damned because we hold the wrong opinions we are saved or damned because we, we receive the grace of God and live charitably in, in all that that would entail, or we don't. And the doctrinal and moral teaching of the church instructs us in how to live charitably. And you can be in grave error about what charity demands, and you will still do very grave harm to yourself and your neighbor, even if you are sincerely in error. Take, take, for example, the Nazi who is persuaded in conscience that he should kill Jews. No, I mean, that, that's a clear case, right? Uh, maybe he holds this conviction sincerely. Okay. All right? It doesn't mean that he's doing good. <laughs> he's doing horrific evil to his own soul and his neighbors. Now, let me push the Nazi analogy a little bit farther. I would also argue it's highly doubtful that he is invincibly ignorant. All right, and here's the other thing. Uh, if I if I am persuaded in conscience to do something contrary to the teaching of the Catholic faith, why am I persuaded in conscience to do something contrary to the Catholic faith? Is it because I have been listening to social media, and 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 you know I I, I, I took very seriously my sociology class at my state university. And I have bought into a political agenda that, that curries favor with my contemporaries and makes me seem like I'm part of the inset. And it's the cool thing to do to resist the Catholic teaching on this issue. If that is the case, then my conscience is no excuse whatsoever at all because I know, I, I I may not know the right thing to do, but I know how to find out the right thing to do. And my error is really born of fear and pride fear of being challenged and uh, and pride, I'm unwilling to be taught what the truth is. Mm. And so the church distinguishes uh, invincible ignorance, I don't know what the right thing to do is, and it's not possible for me to find out, given my circumstances, and then culpable ignorance. I don't know the right thing to do, but I'm responsible for my own ignorance. And the reason I'm responsible is because my the motives that have grounded me in my ignorant opinion are themselves culpable and sinful, like pride or fear. Sure. Okay? And and then finally, again, like the moral teaching of the Catholic Church or the doctrinal teaching of the Catholic Church um, is is true, right? It, it's an accurate description of what leads to human flourishing. And so even if you were invincibly ignorant, you really didn't know what the church teaches. If you don't follow the teaching of the church, even innocently, you're still going to do tremendous harm to yourself and to somebody else. And so you're always better off following the teaching of the church. Example. Um, there is an ideology at work in the world today that says that I can suddenly declare that I'm a banana and everybody around me is morally obligated to treat me like a banana. Moreover, I really am a banana if I say I am. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, that's absurd. Yeah, that's absurd. That's absurd but but it brings incredible harm example young child guy happens to think it's cool to play with barbie some guys do play barbie when they're 5 you know all of a sudden his mother says ah oh, you're a girl let's go have some surgeries and give you a bunch of hormone blockers and do all kinds of stuff to change your entire life and alter your entire identity and you're 5 what do you know all right um Maybe the mother is acting innocently in the sense that she really doesn't know the right thing to do here, and she's just being guided by the hype and the ideology. She's still destroying the life of her son. Yeah. So you need the truth of the Catholic faith, and you need to do your best to understand it and to see why it makes sense and how it's really going to guide us into living a fulfilled and happy human life, a flourishing human life. Um, and I think very few people who, who dissent from the Church's teaching have really made that effort, and many of them are not invincibly ignorant. So their consciences are not excusing them because they're really not. They're kind of disingenuous in the in the claim to conscience.
2: Julie, thank you so much for your call. It's called a communion here on EWTN. Let's go to Andy now in Columbus, Ohio, listening on Saint Gabriel Radio. Hey, Andy, what's on your mind today? Hello,
0: thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, but- I've been working my like- through a book, you might know it, called Being at Communion by John DeZiolis. Um On page 81 in the second paragraph, he speaks about the Eucharist and um, basically how it was or how it was established in response
5: to Gnosticism.
0: And I was just wondering, I mean, the Church has been very reactionary in history, and um, could it be that uh, for example, John 6, was driven by a need to respond to Gnosticism and the doctrine of transcendentiation came about due to that? Um, I was just wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah, I really appreciate the question. Uh, poppycock. <laughs> poppycock. We, we, l- l- but let me draw a couple of distinctions. We believe that the Eucharist is the true body and blood of our Lord because our Lord taught us that. And Jesus wasn't responding to Gnosticism, he was, he was. He is truth itself. And he revealed to us uh, his own nature, uh, the nature of his ministry, and the institutions that he made to hand on uh, the divine mystery of his person to his church, principally uh, the Eucharist. So we hold this because Christ taught it. Now, when Christ taught it, did he use the word transubstantiation? No, he did not. He didn't use the technical vocabulary of theology. He used the, the, the language of everyday common sense. This is my body. Mm-hmm. And the church uh, uses precise theological vocabulary to clarify and specify the mystery and to refute error. And so someone comes up and says, well, I don't really think we should take Christ at his word. I think he was speaking in metaphors or something. And the church comes by and says, no, he really He said what he meant. He meant what he said and if you didn't get it the first time, we will we'll be very specific. It means that the very substance of the bread and wine is changed into the very substance of the body and blood of Christ. So the vocabulary of transubstantiation comes later, but to reiterate and clarify and specify what was always there from the beginning. Now, uh, it is perfectly legitimate to to study biblical texts and the development of doctrine in light of their historical circumstances and who they were contending with and and all that sort of thing, so you can you can look at questions about John and say well why does why is John's account of the Eucharist different from the synoptic gospels matthew Mark and luke and we can we can offer speculative theories about John being later in time and and already the um, the uh, you know some sort of proto gnostic heresies are in circulation, and so John has to really hammer in on you know this is my, my 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 body is true food and my blood is blood is real drink John really really hammers the doctrine very very strong oh yeah uh because already there were doubters sure that's a that's an allowable opinion if you want to bring that to your consideration of the development of John's gospel but John doesn't invent the doctrine Christ taught the doctrine right
2: Uh, Andy, thank you so much for your call. We're going to close with uh, a question here from Eric, uh, listening on Light of Life in Wheeling, West Virginia, who wants to know, what does the church teach about vocations that require violence, like the military or law enforcement? How can this be justified?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, easily. So let's say I'm at home and some guy with a machete breaks down my front door and says, I'm going to kill you and, you know, kidnap your children and rape and pillage. I'm going to say, no, you're not. And if I have the means to stop him, I'm going to stop him. And it's my right and duty to do so out of charity. I'm, it's charitable to me and my wife and my children, and it's charitable to him, honestly. Uh, because it's it's what is, what is the good for that violent perpetrator? Is the good for him that I just let him rape and pillage? No, it's not good for him at all. I need to stop him in his tracks. Now, I'll shoot his kneecaps out if I can, yeah. but if I have to aim for the heart, well, I want to aim for the heart. Okay. I mean, I just am, right? And that's the just thing to do. I mean, innocent lives are at stake. I don't want to kill the man. You don't want to kill the man. But it may be necessary to prevent an even greater evil here of him raping and pillaging.
2: And someone in law enforcement or the military services would look at it exactly the same way.
0: Exactly. Now, you, there is such a thing as the unlawful use of that power. You can have immoral wars and immoral policemen, so they don't get a pass, right? They the, their use of, of uh, force has to be justified by the nature of the case and the circumstances, and has to be done in the right and proportionate way. You know, so you're not going to pull out a gun and shoot somebody because of a traffic stop, right? I mean, there's a there's a there's a proportionate use of force. You only use the force that's necessary to get the job done, but the job is justice. All right, very good.
2: We do appreciate uh, hearing from you via texting, and uh, thank you so much, Dr. David Anders. Thank you, Tom. We do the program Monday through Friday here on EWTN Radio. 2 p.m. Eastern is the live broadcast. We also have an encore the same evening at 11 p.m. with a Best Up show on Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern. On behalf of Charles, Ryan, and Jeff, I'm Tom Price here with Dr. David Anders. You have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow on Call to Communion. God
5: bless. Hey y'all, this is Father Mitch Pack. Open Line Wednesday is next on EWTN Radio.
3: Wings is the weekly newsletter that's packed with program info, features, and updates of all that's going on at the Global Catholic Network. Just go to EWTN.com slash Wings. Fill out your name and email address, and you'll start getting your Wings every week. When you get yours, send it to all your friends, and they can send it to their friends. And pretty soon, we're covering the whole world with the good news about EWTN. Wings, the weekly newsletter from EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic.
1: Holy Spirit Catholic Church Altar Society presents Winter Wonderland, an amazing one-stop shopping event. Saturday, November 9th and Sunday, November 10th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. There'll be 40-plus vendors with jewelry, art, sewn creations, and one-of-a-kind gifts. And don't forget to visit Frosty's Cafe for a light lunch fair. That's Holy Spirit's Altar Society's Winter Wonderland this weekend at the Holy Spirit Banquet Hall.
3: Praise be Jesus Christ, I am Bishop John W. Yanta. St. Paul said, Name something you have that you have not received. If then you have received it, why are you boasting as if it were your own? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Tithing is a way of acknowledging God as the giver and that we are grateful. And so please be generous in your Sunday offering and your parish churches. God bless you. Observe Sunday as a holy day. The third promise we made in 1996 was to help build strong, holy families. All we need to do is look around at all the alarming issues that are plaguing families to know that our families are under great attack from the culture. Our beautiful Catholic faith serves as a perfect guide in dealing with family life issues and the difficult decisions and circumstances that families face today. The Guadalupe Radio Network provides many programs like More to Life and The Doctors in, which helps families live as faithful Catholics. When families remain close to Holy Mother Church and learn and live her teachings, then the family flourishes. That is the solution to today's crisis in the family. Families that worship and pray together, bond together spiritually, creating a strong holy family. That is why we are one Guadalupe Radio Network family. Radio for your soul. This is Len Oswald, president of the GRN, with your GRN Family Minute. The Faith and Freedom Minute explores the intersection of our Catholic faith and modern American culture, offering insights to understand and navigate the divide between secular viewpoints and our Catholic principles. Brought to you by the Knights of Columbus, here's past state deputy for Texas, Douglas Oldmixon. In its statement on religious liberty,
1: the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops says, Religious liberty is not only about our ability to go to Mass on Sunday or pray the rosary at home. It is about whether we can make our contribution to the common good of all Americans. Can we do the good works our faith calls us to do without having to compromise that very same faith? Without religious liberty properly understood, all Americans suffer Deprived of the essential contributions that religious Americans make every day, both here at home and overseas. As Catholics and as Knights of Columbus, we continue our corporal and spiritual works of mercy in every circumstance, mindful of the increased challenges to our motivations, but relying on the unearned grace and steadfast mercy of a God who has already won the war, even as we join the battle facing us in our time. Will you join us?
3: This has been the Knights of Columbus Faith and Freedom Minute. To learn more about the effective witness and practical works of the world's largest Catholic family organization, please visit our website at tkfc.org. That's tkofc.org.
5: Hi, this is David Calvillo from Real Men Pray the Rosary. Thank you for listening to KJMA 89.7 FM on the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul here in the San Antonio and South Texas area. If you have 15 minutes during your day to hang out with Jesus and Mary, pray the rosary. For more information, see Real Men Pray the Rosary. Go to realmenpraytherosary.org and .com. Thank you, and Ave Maria.
1: This is 89.7 FM KJMA Radio, Floresville, San Antonio. Also online at grnonline.com. We don't mess with the truth. Hear it? Love it. Live it.